let's read the Bible. We're in Galatians this morning, carrying on with our series in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, so uh, Paul has been talking about freedom and what it means to be free in Christ, what it means to be set free by the Spirit of God and uh, this kind of freedom that Jesus brings, this kind of mercy that uh, he gives us is not a freedom that just leaves us without any anchorage, that just leaves us doing whatever we want. It's not a freedom that just leads to some kind of independent, autonomous living, but it's a freedom for something in particular. It's a freedom for a particular way of thinking and living. And this is what Paul talks about in Galatians 5 verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Did you guys hear the story this week of the guy who had $15,000 put into his account by mistake by Westpac Bank? I mean, it's amazing. Just picture yourself. You're sitting at a cafe on Saturday morning. You're having breakfast. You, you check your bank balance on your iPhone or whatever, and you find that your bank balance has $15,000 more in it than it's supposed to have. This guy's life, life savings had doubled instantly. It's like that couple last year, you know, from Rotorua that had $10 million added as an overdraft in the same bank, Westpac. You start to wonder if this is like a marketing strategy for Westpac or something. <laughs> Join Westpac and we might accidentally just uh, put a bit of money there. So, they, well, that couple did a runner, of course. They were on the first plane to Beijing and uh, they're still on the run, I think. I don't think they've been, they've been caught. But this guy, uh, he said that his first thought was to, was to run. He said his first thought was, was uh, let's jump on a plane and, and take off. But better judgment prevailed and he went down the road to his local Westpac branch and talked to the manager and said, here's $15,000, what's happened? And the manager confirmed that it was a mistake and they took the money out again. So I wondered whether they could have at least left a little bit in there, you know, as a reward, as a little bit of an incentive, you know, for being honest. But maybe they did, I don't know. But, you know, what would you have done? In that situation, over breakfast, you find 15K. Because I suppose he could have kept quiet. I don't know whether he could have been held liable over time if that money had just sort of been absorbed into other things. You know, would you have been tempted to just stay quiet, keep it on the down low? You probably wish you'd never checked, you know, and just over time, well, it just happened to be there. Or would you have wandered over to the bank like he did and done the honest thing and the noble thing and, 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 and owned up to what had happened? It's kind of one of those... Classic devil on one shoulder, angel on the other shoulder moments, isn't it? You know, you've got two voices in your head at the same time telling you uh, what you should do. And, and, and we face this type of stuff every day, you know, these kinds of scenarios. You're walking down the uh, dairy aisle at the supermarket and you've got your shopping list, you know what you need and you know what you don't need, but you then come to the Piaco yogurt. Has anybody had Piaco yogurt? Oh, 
I've just discovered it recently. Man, it is good stuff. Passion fruit flavour. Mango maybe. It's just fantastic. And you don't need it. You know, it's not, probably not that great for you. Not on your shopping list. It's pretty pricey. Uh, but suddenly you're in this internal turmoil, you know. There's the voice saying, just buy it. You know, you can afford a little treat. doesn't matter. Just stick it in the trolley. And there's the other voice saying, no, no, no. You've got your shopping list. You're on a budget. You don't need that. You're trying to be disciplined. Stay away from that stuff. Keep moving. Keep moving. Or maybe the situation where you're at work and... Uh, your boss gives you credit for a particular project that your team's been working on, but you know that it was actually one of your colleagues that did most of the work on it and had the great creative idea. But your boss is lavishing the praise on you, and so what are you going to do? You're going to mention your colleague? You're going to put them in the spotlight as well and, and give them the praise they deserve? Or, I mean, it feels good, doesn't it, to get a bit of accolades and, you know, your boss is telling you this stuff. Who am I to tell him what to think? You know, I'll just receive it and I want him to think that I'm doing a good job. Or maybe you're surfing the internet and a pop-up comes up inviting you into a site that you know you shouldn't go into and part of you doesn't want to look at it. Part of you just wants to click away and close it down and get on with what you were doing, but there's a part of you somehow that is drawn to it that somehow there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a craving, somehow there's something, there's a primal urge that seems to take over. You can feel like a split personality, can't you, in those times? And we face these kinds of moments all the time. We're suddenly we're thrown into a tension. It feels like there's two different parts of us pulling us in different directions. You talk to addicts about this, drug addicts, alcohol addicts, gambling addicts, um, those who you know, abuse all kinds of substances, and there is an immense sense of powerlessness that comes over them because they know that this stuff is destructive. They know the damage it's going to do to their lives, to their reputations, to their families. They know, but there's something that just keeps craving it. There's something that just keeps pulling them almost uncontrollably towards this thing. In my old job, I, I overheard a colleague one day talking about a friend of hers who had had an affair and... Uh, she was saying how they'd tried to stop. They'd really tried to stop, but they just couldn't. They couldn't control themselves. What are we to make of that as Christians? Those desires, those passions. People have tried to work this stuff out for centuries. People have come up with all kinds of explanations. Why is it that we feel so torn when we know often the right thing to do? It's not really a question most of the time of knowing what the best course of action is. We often know what's wise. We often know what's right. We often know the best course of action. But there's something else that's pulling us. There's something else that's leading us away from this. And some people talk about this as the, the, the distinction between our higher self and our lower self. That there's a higher self of rationality and common sense that knows the right thing to do. But there's this lower primal animal base instinct that also competes for us and wants us to go that way. Uh, some people see this as a split between head and heart. They say that this is really the cerebral function, the cognitive function of a person competing with their, their visceral emotional response. And these two things are in conflict with one another. But what you find in Galatians and in the Scriptures is an explanation, I think, of this whole conflict that we each face all the time that does the most justice to understanding this profound internal tension that all of us have. And it's spoken about various ways, but this would be, verse 16 to 18 in particular, the most succinct description of what this personal 
internal battle really boils down to. And the way Paul describes it is that fundamentally what is happening to you and I every day is that we're facing a battle between flesh and spirit. That, those are the terms that he uses. Flesh and spirit. These two things are somehow in opposition. These two things are somehow in conflict and so we need to understand well, what do we mean by the flesh and what do we mean by the spirit because sometimes Christians have understood these things in ways that have led them further down the wrong track. A lot of the time in the Bible when the word flesh is used and by the way I know in a lot of your translations it doesn't say flesh. You've got a translation that says sinful nature. Those of you that read the NIV. But the word behind that translation is the Greek word sarx, which literally means flesh. That's what it means. And often when it's used in the Bible, it's just used of our body. Just flesh. Flesh and blood. All flesh. All humanity. It's used in this kind of neutral way. But there are particular times, particularly in Paul's letters, where this word flesh is used negatively and set in contrast to the spirit. And it's those times that we need to watch out for. Because it's dangerous to assume that when flesh is used negatively, it's talking about our physical body. This is how some people interpret it. Now, if you go down that track of associating flesh with our human body, when it's spoken about in the negative sense, what you end up with is a view of flesh and spirit that really means flesh is the physical side of us, and spirit is the internal, uh, spiritual, soul, mind part of us. And this is how Christians have understood this for a long time. And it's so misguided, it takes us down such a wrong road. Because what we end up thinking is that the bad part of us is our body. The bad part of us is physically our flesh. And that's what you know, you, people assume, well, it says flesh, it must mean that my body is somehow the bad thing. So we devalue the body and we think that this is the bad part, that my physicality is somehow corrupted and, and, and wrong, but there's this kind of soul, spirit um, part of me inside, my spiritual side, and that's the good part. Do you know what that's called, that way of thinking? Gnosticism. That is a, an ancient heresy that was prevalent in the first two centuries. And it basically held that physical stuff matter Physicality is less, it is inferior, it is corrupt, it is evil and the really important stuff is the non-material, the non-physical, the spiritual and particularly the mind, Gnostics would say. I would argue that most evangelical Christians today are basically Gnostics in the way they think. We don't realise we are but we have this idea that our, somehow our, our body, our physicality is the bad side and, and the spiritual, the non-material is the good side. I think Paul would be horrified at that because that's not how he intended this division between flesh and spirit to be understood. It's not about physical versus non-physical. Our bodies are good. Our bodies are healthy. Our bodies are given to us by God. They're going to be resurrected one day. Our bodies can be used for good or evil. They are not in and of themselves. These are lesser corrupt vehicles and the flesh is not just talking about who we physically are. In fact, when Paul lists these particular acts of the flesh in a few verses' time, verse 19 and following, some of these things, you know, jealousy and anger and uh, factions, these are things that could be practiced by Satan and his demons who don't even have bodies. It's not about whether or not you've got a body. 
There must be something else. So this physical, non-physical thing is the wrong way to go about understanding flesh and spirit. There is another way that people have sometimes thought about it. And it's a way that talks about two natures. So people say, well, I have this sinful nature, and that's where the NIV translation comes from. I have this sinful nature in me, and then I have this spiritual nature over here. Now, it certainly feels like that, doesn't it? You know, day to day, it feels like there's these two natures, two forces in me, like, you know, two dogs fighting each other a lot of the time. It feels like two natures. And that gets us a little bit closer to the truth, but it's not the whole way there because the Bible sees us as an integrated whole. We're more than just the sum of our parts. You can't just sort of rip out the sinful nature part of us and the spiritual nature part of us like you could take apart a computer. It's not that easy to make this dichotomy between I've got a sinful nature over here and a spiritual nature over here. We are integrated, body, soul, spirit. We're all one. We can't just go dividing ourselves into these component parts. So there's a third explanation. And this, I would say, gets to the heart of what Paul's talking about. When you see flesh or sinful nature in the negative sense, think about it as our old identity. Think about it as our old self, our old humanity, who we were and who we are outside of Jesus, who we are outside of God's salvation, outside of the presence of the Spirit and the presence of Christ. The self by itself, that's the flesh. The unredeemed self, our old identity, who you were, And we've all got that old identity. You can remember who you were, right, before you came to Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, maybe some of you are still there. You're still in that old identity. It's who you are. It's that old self. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross is that Romans 6 tells us that old self was nailed to the cross with Christ. That old identity is done away with. That body of sin is defeated. And when a person comes to Jesus and puts their faith in him, they receive a new identity. A new identity that's described here simply as the Spirit. So the Spirit is our new identity in Jesus, who we now are, full of grace, saved by the cross of Christ, and full of the Holy Spirit. That's our new identity. That's who we are. We are now new creations. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've you've changed from old identity to new identity. You're a new creation in Christ. Now you've received the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. It's all very well to talk about this stuff and say, yes, I, was, I had an old identity, now I've got this new identity, now I'm a new creation in Christ. But why then do we still struggle with this tension every day? Why do you still want to give that driver a particular gesture when he cuts you off? Why, if, if your old identity is nailed to Christ on the cross, if it's all done away with, if I'm living out of this new identity now and I'm a new person, got the Spirit... Why do, we still, why do I still want to yell at my kids? Why do I still want to yell at my spouse? Why do I still get so angry? Why do I, why, why, why do I struggle with lust? Why am I still battling this addiction? Why, it, it still feels like there's a battle going on in me, right? It is for me. And this is where it's helpful to understand the flesh and the spirit as belonging to two different ages, if you like. The flesh belongs to the present age, the age of sin and struggle, this present world, this present life, this present age, full of brokenness, full of sin. And the spirit 
belongs to this new age that God is bringing about by his power. It's not finally here yet because we're still waiting for Jesus to return. That's when it's going to fully arrive, but it started when Jesus walked out of a tomb one Sunday morning. That new age, that new creation broke in that day. That new age of the Spirit, it came to earth and it's been continually coming ever since. That new creation, the new age of the Spirit is here even now, but we're still in the old age. We're still living in the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. So actually we're living in two ages at once. We're living in the age of the flesh and we're living in the age of the Spirit. We are, we are both, we have both and we face the battle of both within us. And we experience this conflict because we see and have the Spirit, but we have the Spirit in the midst of this present, fallen, broken world where we still have that old identity trying to exert its influence on us even though it's been crucified. It's not finally going to be done away with until Jesus returns. Then it's going to be put to death completely. Then we just live totally out of that new identity. But until Jesus returns, we, we, we battle flesh and spirit because we live in both ages at the same time. And so day to day we feel that tension between our old identity still trying to exert some influence even though it's been disarmed and our new identity leading us into life and righteousness and godliness but still having to contend with this old self over here. So it's two versions of us really. It's not physical, non-physical. It's not two parts of us. It's two different versions of ourselves. Our old self, which still tries to control and still tries to pull us back, even though it's been defeated. And our new self, our new identity in the spirit, which is here, but not finally fully here because we're still waiting for Jesus to come and complete the work. So day to day we feel this incredible tension and Paul sums up this tension in verse 17. He says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Some of your translations say, so that you do not do whatever you want. And it sounds on the surface of it like that's kind of an admission of defeat, doesn't it? Like, we want to do the right thing, but ultimately we can't because our flesh is too strong. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think what he's saying here is that we find ourselves really on both sides of this conflict. Whenever we want to do the right thing, whenever we want to choose patience instead of grumpiness, we find that the flesh is right there. We find that that old self is still exerting a pull on us. But conversely, when we want to do the wrong thing and when everything in us is screaming out to just send that abusive text or say that thing to that person, there's still the presence of the Spirit that's speaking to us of a different way and a different choice and a different path. Either way, we're in conflict. When we want to follow the flesh, the Spirit's right there telling us, no, don't do that. When we want to follow the Spirit, the flesh is still nagging away at us. And Paul describes this even more um, exquisitely in Romans when he, when he talks about this battle and what it feels like. Just listen to these words. See if you can relate to this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. You can just hear the exasperation in his voice, you know. Who said the Bible's not relevant to life? This is where I live every day. 
This is my world, right? Isn't that true? We want to do the good, I want to do the right thing, but evil is just right there with me. The flesh just keeps on pulling me down. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to say those things. I don't want to react that way, but oh, in the moment, in the split-second decision of our reactions and impulses, and I just keep getting dragged back this way. The good I want to do, I just don't seem to be able to do. So where does all this leave us? Are we just lost in this tension? Are we just lost in this endless and undetermined battle? Well, the reality of the flesh and the spirit is this. 1 John 4.4 says, You, dear children, are from God, and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. That's the start. This is what Satan doesn't want you to know. This is what your flesh doesn't want you to know is that the spirit within you is greater than the one in the world who is Satan, who controls our flesh, our old self. And this is not an even contest. This is not like flesh and spirit are just on a par and they're fighting it out and either one could ultimately win. The battle's already been won, hasn't it? What, what else is the cross for? You know, the battle's been won. This is a victory. The spirit has already conquered the flesh. Christ is already the victor. Satan's already been defeated. I know it doesn't feel like that day to day, but you've got to remind yourself the old self has already been nailed to the cross of Christ and the Spirit has already won. So what we're doing is outworking that victory. It's not this even battle of I wonder who's going to win and maybe it could go either way and who's ultimately going to be the victor. No, the Spirit's won. God's won. He's nailed it to the cross. That flesh has gone. It has no power over you other than the power you decide to give it. You can hand it back, but it has no power. It's a defeated enemy. It's still an enemy. It's still very real, but it is a defeated enemy. Our flesh is conquered. And this is why it's so important what Paul says when he says, so I I say to you, in, in verse 16, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And this is what it comes down to. Walk by the Spirit. This idea of walking. This is not just something you do in the moment. Walking is not just something you do when you face that moment of reaction and you've got to decide whether to snap back at that person or bite your lip. Walking is continuous. Walking is something that you practice. It's ongoing. It's a lifestyle. Walking by the Spirit. See, if it all comes down to the moment for you, you know, the the second that that driver cuts you off, you're making a split-second decision as to how you respond, whether it's a bit of road rage or whether it's just calm and serene. But, that, you know, that, that decision is made in a millisecond. And if you rely completely on that moment to determine your response and your reaction, to think it through, pray it through, reason it carefully, reflect on a few Bible verses and have a little devotion before you decide what you're going to do, you are stuck! <laughs> and you're just going to go, you know, running back to, 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 to what is the default setting to, to what the flesh wants and how the flesh will react. And that's, that's why so many Christians live in defeat and live in, you know, just can't get there because it all just comes down to the moment. But walking by the Spirit is something else. Walking by the Spirit is something you do not just when you're tempted, not just when you're pulled this way or that, not just when your emotions are screaming out this way or that, but as an ongoing daily exercise of talking to God, of communing with the Holy Spirit, 
and of practising the presence of God in our everyday lives. Quiet times are important. That may be once a day time that you spend with God, but it's about what happens between quiet times that makes the difference. This practice of the continual presence of the Spirit in our lives. This is not about stopping and having a, a long Bible study time. This is about bringing God into our day, acknowledging Him in the course of our day, taking those little micro times and just turning to God and just remembering His presence, becoming consciously aware of who He is and communing with God in the midst of what we're doing. A Catholic priest once wrote a great book on this. Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he, he talked about how for him, practicing the presence of God was bringing God into his daily routine. And, and he was a monk and his job at the monastery was just growing potatoes. That's what he did. I suppose it's reasonably easy to bring God into stuff when you, all you're doing every day is growing potatoes. But you know, the point he makes is whatever the mundane stuff is, whatever the stuff in your everyday life is, bring God into that and become aware of his presence in the middle of that. Not that you have to necessarily always draw aside for some special spiritual time, but in the stuff of life. Just as you're walking from office to office, as you're getting in your car, as you're standing in the shower, just be aware of the presence of the Spirit. I think this is what Paul's saying by walking by the Spirit. And as we do this, it is so much easier than in those moments to take hold of the resources of the Spirit and reject the pull of the flesh. Because the Spirit of God acts like a warning system then. It acts like a prompt in our head, in our mind, to remind us of a choice, to remind us that there is a different way of responding, to remind us that we do have the self-control to resist that, to remind us that we can act with kindness, that we can respond to that need. We don't have to just be selfish. We don't See, the Spirit is the system of warning us and prompting us in the moment. This week, I tell you, I've been so grumpy. I've been so unbelievably grumpy, and it's partly because I had two moles cut out of my back. I'm just looking for a bit of sympathy here. <laughs> I had two moles cut out of my back, so I was sore. So then I couldn't sleep, because you know, I'm on my back and it's not comfortable. So then now I'm tired and sore. Uh, and then it was Guy Fawkes, and I used to love it until I had a baby, and now I hate it. Because he, Joshua was waking up every couple of hours with the fireworks going off, so I'm getting more tired. And man, when I'm tired, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just not nice to be around. I'm grumpy. And I have grumped. I've probably grumped at you this week. I'm sorry. I've grumped at everybody. It's just been awful. Uh, you know, and, and that's the pull of my flesh. And there are reasons. Sure, yeah, I'm tired and, and, and had this thing happen. But, you know, this is not an excuse. And I feel throughout the day just the gentle voice of the Spirit reminding me, there's another way to act here. Yeah, I know you're tired. I know you're uncomfortable, but there's another... You could, you could approach the situation differently. You could still get off the couch and unload the dishwasher. You could still do... You don't have to snap, even though you feel justified snapping because you're in a lot of pain and your world's... You, know, you, don't, have, you don't have to choose that road. I haven't always listened to that voice this week, to my shame. But I, I know that the Spirit of God has been working in my life and just prompting me and saying, in spite of your tiredness, you can still choose to walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit gives me what I need to make choices in every moment, to choose life and not death. And the small things as well as the big things. Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Do you believe that? 
I think we live our lives a lot of the time like we don't actually have everything we need, that somehow I've got to strive for something outside of myself. It's not that it comes from you, but the Spirit of God that resides within you has already given you everything you need for a godly life. The Holy Spirit has already given you all the self-control you need. You don't even have to ask for it in the moment because the Spirit of God has already given you everything you need for a godly life. What we need to do is take hold of the power of the Spirit in our lives and say no to the flesh because that power is right there within our own mortal body. Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has all the joy you need. Those of you that have lost your joy and are moping about day to day, God's already given you all the joy you need. God's already given you all the patience you need. When you're at your end and you grump and you snap and you get impatient, God's already given you, by His Spirit, all the patience you need. You have it. Not in and of yourself, but by the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think that verse should transform us, shouldn't it? His divine power has given us every single thing that we need so that in the moment we can side with, us, with the Spirit against the flesh. And we can put the flesh to death with all of its sinful desires and its cravings. It's not an even contest. The Spirit's given you everything you need. I know this morning that I don't need to talk to a select little group of you that might happen to struggle with this tension between flesh and spirit because isn't this where all of us live? And I don't know what all the applications are. You know. You know what's going on in your life. You know the areas right now where you're feeling this, this pull between flesh and spirit. I love the old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Isn't that true? Aren't we just prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord above. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. We're all prone to wander. You're prone to wander in so many ways. And right now you may be facing a particular battle where your flesh is pulling you down a particular road, a way of speaking, a way of reacting, a way of thinking, a way of behaving. And maybe you've just given up on trying to do anything else. You're trying, you've tried, and it just hasn't worked. Friends, his divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life. And this morning God is right here with all the power and strength you need to say no to whatever is dragging you down and whatever is holding you back. That craving of your flesh, that habit, that addiction, that pattern that is so entrenched and ingrained in your character. God's got the strength to break it. He's got the strength to deal with it. He's got the power by his spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to deal with that thing in your life. Yes, it's going to take some time. Yes, it's going to take some people around you. Yes, it may take the help of a counsellor to do the deep work that's required, but it can start today. It can start by you choosing, I'm going to start walking by the Spirit. I'm going to start keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm going to stop listening to the lie that my flesh is the stronger one. You don't have to follow your flesh. You don't have to follow those sinful cravings. You don't have to be a slave to it. It's not your master. That thing that's coming against you, it's not your master. You're not a slave to it. You can be free from that. You can live beyond that thing. You can find that victory. And I'm not just talking triumphalism. It's a day-by-day victory as we listen to the Spirit, lay hold of the power of the Spirit in our lives and trust God to tear down whatever strongholds the enemy's got in our hearts and our minds and our lives. 
His divine power has given you everything you need, friends, to live a godly life. Let's take hold of the power of the Spirit and learn to crucify the flesh in all its forms. Father, we pray for that right now. We ask, Lord, for the power of your Spirit in our lives. Father, you know the things that are facing us. You know the things that are confronting us. You know the things where we're making wrong choices, the battles that we're losing. God, you know. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us in power and give us the strength to say no when our flesh keeps saying yes. Holy Spirit, give us the strength to resist. Give us the strength to turn away. Give us the strength to put to death those things in our lives that we are so sick of having there. The stuff that just keeps on messing with us, keeps on tearing us down, keeps on holding us back. Father, we're so tired of it. We're so sick of it. I ask, Holy Spirit, come and renew us now. Come and strengthen us now. Come and give us the victory in Jesus' name that we need over these sins of the flesh. Come and remind us that our flesh is a defeated enemy. Come and remind us of the power. Holy Spirit, you raise Jesus from the dead. Come and raise us up. Come and raise us up to new life. Come and raise us out of this rubbish that we get ourselves stuck in and entangled in and entrenched in. God, lift us out of it. Raise us up. Give us new power, new strength. Come upon us, Holy Spirit, and give us the resources that we need to begin outworking this stuff. Father, help us to walk by your Spirit this week and not gratify the desires of our flesh. Thank you, that's possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.